Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ. And I also want to thank my listeners from around the world. Never, ever give up hope is now heard in over 70 different countries. I am so pleased. And also what that tells me is there doesn't matter where we are on this planet, we are looking for a message and a story of hope. Many of you listening are in the position today where you feel hopeless, whether it's something that's recently happened in your life or possibly something that you never have been able to deal with from your past and you still feel that, what's the hope? What's the chance of anything changing? All my guests have been there and they all have a story to share that says, I was there, I understand, and this is what I did to turn my life around and to turn my hopelessness into hope. And so I thank my guests. I thank my listeners. I thank all of you who have left reviews and comments because it is what makes this show successful. And also, if you have a story, please contact me if you would like to be on the show and feel that there is a story of hopelessness turned to hope that you would like to share. So please contact me and we will see if we can fit you in. Thank you. Today with me, I have Dina Dyer. Dina is a writer, a speaker, a teacher, an author who has written eight books and hundreds of articles for many prestigious magazines, both online and off. Dina went through a soul-crushing depression, and I know that people are going to relate to this because this is one problem that many of my guests have have discussed on this show because when you're depressed and you feel alone it's very difficult to bring yourself out of that and it's so wonderful to hear how various people have been able to do that and Dina is one of them she went through a soul crushing depression after her oldest son was born And she knows that it can be debilitating. She is going to share with us today how she coped and how she overcame. Welcome, Dina. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for having me on today. Oh, you're very welcome. So tell us what happened after your son was born. Well, my son was born and it was a dream come true. And I thought I'd always wanted to be a mom. So I thought I would be very, very happy and content. But... I began to experience a depression so dark and deep that I became very, very hopeless. He wasn't sleeping well. He wasn't eating well. 
And so I had some struggles just coping with that, also coping with nursing. And this cloud began to descend on me. And it became an overwhelming feeling of despair. And I remember one day I was driving with him in the back seat to an event, a girls' night out. And we were driving over the lake at our home because we live on a lake. And a thought came to me. It was drive into the lake. Mm. And I immediately started sobbing. And I stopped the car, collected myself, and turned around went home and talked to my husband and said, I've got to have help. Because at that point, I had been in some counseling but hadn't been on any medication because we had been trying to get pregnant. So I decided, okay, this is serious. I need to get help. I need it now. What happened then when you when you told your husband that? How did he respond? Was he aware that it was this serious of a problem for you? He was great because we had talked before when I'd been going through counseling. I had had a very dysfunctional childhood and my mother was ill for a long time. Uh, in my teens, and so I had a lot of things that I had been dealing with. So he realized that this was something related to that, um, and also that it could be physical. So he and I both we called the doctor, and he went with me. And as um, soon as I could get in, and I got on some medicine, which helped me to get to a place where I wasn't feeling so desperate. And then he was very supportive as I went back to counseling and kept working on things and. Then we found a thyroid dysfunction, and there was all sorts of mm. things that helped me together to heal. I like to tell people it wasn't an overnight healing at all. I struggled and, and would have ups and downs, but there was, it was like a s- spokes on a wheel, Carol. I've, I try to tell people that it didn't just happen in a blink of an eye, although I believe healing can happen sometimes that way. But for me, it was a long, slow, steady climb. And really without my family support uh, and without the counseling I got and my faith and things like that, I would, I could have still been there, you know, I could, or I could have taken action or um, hurt myself or something. So I'm very grateful for the family support I had from my husband and my, my parents and my friends. Now, was this your only child? At the time, yes, I now have a another son. We have, they're six years apart. That's one of the reasons there's a six-year gap because... I was very scared of it happening again or of um, not being able to handle two children. He's full of joy and laughter, and he's been a huge blessing to our family. But there was definitely some hesitation for a while of trying to have another child. And did you go through it the second time? I didn't. I had a doctor that walked me very carefully through the pregnancy, worked with me, made sure that I had the right medicine and that I was a lot stronger. In fact, I had a doctor that worked with me just to help me even get to where I could have another child because I was so depleted physically in a lot of ways. Now, when you were going through the depression initially and also in trying to, to get healing, did you experience guilt? Oh, yes. So tell us about that and how you coped with that. The guilt that I felt was all over the place and about everything. Um, I call myself a recovering perfectionist. And I think (laughs) one of the reasons that I had such guilt is because I was so hard on myself. I think as women, this is so easy to do. I had this vision that I was going to be the perfect mom and do everything right. And I thought if I read enough books and 
I took enough classes and I did this and clothed him this way and fed him this way that it would all be perfect. Well, of course, life isn't like that. And so as I began to talk to myself and, and get some counseling, I realized, hey, I'm, I'm really beating myself up here a lot and it's not necessary. I don't need to do that and it's not healthy to do that. So as I began to learn how to have grace for myself and others, that was a huge part of my healing. So give us some of those tips, possibly that you got through counseling or that you discovered yourself. Can you remember anything, maybe some affirmations that you did on a daily basis or, you know, what you did specifically and could help somebody else possibly going through this? Sure. One of the things that I did a lot was journal. I tried to journal and just journal my thoughts and emotions and feelings and get it out instead of keeping it all in because I grew up in a shame-based family where you didn't talk about things. Um, but that freedom to just let it all out was huge. And then I also learned, and I still do this today um, because it's part of my ongoing healing I learned to stop myself whenever I would think thoughts like I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough or I'm not uh, doing this right or that right or I'll never be accepted and they'll never like me, those kind of things. Those are really lies that we tell ourselves or that that we uh, get all embroiled in. And I began to see that there was truth for me. There was truth in Scripture. I'm a person of faith, and so I began to find specific promises and things that helped me and I would replace the lies with the truth and that was a huge part of it because I would go and put little index cards with those truths all through my uh, house even on my car dashboard by my computer where I start I had started writing and those reminders everywhere I went about truth was part of that journey from hopelessness to hope. That's excellent. Replace the lies with the truth. One of the quotes that I use on a regular basis is, when you buy the thought, you buy the lie. Ooh, that's And as soon as we buy it, it's ours. What you are saying, and my hat goes, you know, is off to you, is that when that thought comes is you stop it. And so you're not buying it. Because when you buy it, you're like, you dwell on it, you think on it, you you know what, that's right, I am worthless, I am bad mother, or whatever that thought happens to be. And having it in front of you, I remember doing the same thing. I would put something on my forehead with a post-it note, and every time I looked in the mirror, of course, I didn't do this when I went out, just around the house, (laughs) you have to realize that, but start pasting them all over Interesting comments, yeah. Yeah, people get really up close and personal to read what you got written on your face, you know. But no, the point is, is that we need to see the truth. We need to say the truth. And that is what you are, what you are saying. So now continue the journey. Anything else that you want to give us tips? That was excellent. Well, thank you. It's, like I said, it's still a journey. And I, and one of the things that really helped me too was realizing when I was getting alone too much, I'm an introvert. And I can be a hermit if I let myself. This is where my family has been instrumental because they're very vivacious. I have three boys in my family. I call my husband my third boy. He's very fun and energetic. And they get me out of myself. And so if I'm going to be too much alone, that can be 
especially if I'm in a down period. That's dangerous. I need to get out. I need sunshine. I need exercise, which I'm not a big fan of, honestly. But <laughs> but I've noticed that, you know, eating right, exercising, getting that vitamin D, being out in the sun, just being around fun people. Wow, those things really do make a difference. And the the hard thing is, Carol, I think, is that when you're down, especially so far down, it's very hard to do the things that you know you yes. need to do. So having support is, is of course, a, a big factor. Yes. Now, you do a lot of public speaking, and I did hear you, and you use the power of humor to get your point across often. Did you use humor when you were going through this as a Band-Aid, or were you not even in the place where you could do that? I definitely feel like humor has been part of my healing process, because I do come from uh, this family. <laughs> One of our mottos in our family of four is, why be normal? It's no fun. Mm. It, we're all artsy, and we have these quirky interests. And just being silly together and playful does help whenever I'm down. And my husband, sometimes I get mad at him because I can't stay mad at him. Okay. <laughs> he'll When we're arguing, he'll throw in a funny comment. And I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, I dear. start laughing and I can't <laughs> keep mad at him because he's so funny. But no, watching funny movies or shows together, telling jokes. I love clean comedians like Tim Hawkins or Shonda Pierce or Brian Regan, Jim Gaffigan. Those things help me too, even now. And I like to have a steady dose of that because one of the famous books in the world, the Bible uh, in Proverbs says that a merry heart is like good medicine. And I really believe that there's been studies proved that laughter actually releases endorphins like exercise does. And it's a healing property. So I think that's really neat and cool and definitely something I try to keep in my daily life. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that I'm not sure if you can answer or not, and that's fine if you can't, but I was thinking of it as you were as you were talking. Very often, people who are depressed use humor as a Band-Aid, and you did, you know, you did uh, agree that you did do that, and also that you use it as a healing process. Now, my question to you is, someone like Robin Williams, who was very funny man, and no one knew what was going on because he suppressed it. He takes his life. How is that different from what you are suggesting here? Like using it as a Band-Aid, or is there another way to actually change the way we're thinking using humor? I think you can use it as a Band-Aid, and maybe the... <clears throat> The difference is that when you use a Band-Aid, sometimes you're covering, you're covering over the problem. So sometimes you have to be careful um, that you're not using it as a way to avoid the core issue. I feel like I watched a documentary with Shonda Pierce the other day, which I highly recommend. It's called Laughing in the Dark. And... As she was being interviewed about some various serious losses that she had had, including her husband um, and two sisters, that she kept making jokes. And the interviewer said, do you feel like you used humor to deflect some of this pain? And she said, well, absolutely, because a lot of comedians do that. So Mm -hmm. I think the difference is if you can't ever be serious, 
you have a problem. If you can't ever come out of the jokes and deal with what's really going inside, on inside, then that's your problem. If it's something that you use as a distraction sometimes from the heaviness of the world, you use it in small doses or you try to help yourself become more positive, that's a good thing. But are you really dealing with the reasons you got depressed or are you just band-aiding over that? There's the, I think that's your difference. That's an excellent answer. So basically what you're saying is balance and mm-hmm. honesty. And that's the hardest thing, honestly, in life as a mom, mm-hmm. as a wife, a mm-hmm. writer – balance. Oh, it's so hard to achieve. and We're never going to achieve it perfectly. That's what I have to tell myself. Give myself grace it is a balance that I think we need to have. And what you were saying too about bringing, like even when you're really, really depressed, like sometimes if in our home, if we go through something that is very upsetting, we aren't going to watch something on TV that's depressing. We're right. going to find a funny movie or something to, you know, because we can use those outside sources to lighten it. And you had mentioned that as well. So it isn't that yeah. you have to go around laughing all the time. Find things that you can also, you know, integrate into that problem area at that moment so that you can have a laugh or two or go listen to Dina Dyer talk online. (laughs) Now you've written many books. First of all, were any of them written or was one written as a result of your uh, experience with your son? The first book I ever had published is called Grace for the Race, Meditations for Busy Moms. Mm. And it was written for a mom like me that needed something every day but she couldn't handle a lot of depth just something encouraging so I couldn't find anything like that when he was little he was he's 18 now now there's a lot of mom books now that I Mm -hmm. could have had as a resource but um, I wanted something to where moms could have a little dose of humor and hope every single day and it wouldn't take them any more time than it takes to go to the bathroom because that may be the only time she gets to read by herself (laughs) so uh, that's what I wrote that book for and honestly it's taken me 18 years Carol to get to the point where now I'm starting to write a memoir about my depression and my really and I think that's important if people want to write or speak about their pain there has to be a distance so you can look at it objectively yes I think we you don't always have to wait 18 years I wouldn't want you to necessarily wait as long as I have some of its avoidance of pain honestly it's hard to write about those things and it's hard to sit down and and do that but I think also oftentimes if we're public people or we like being in front of people we want to tell our story maybe and maybe our motives aren't right maybe we want sympathy or maybe Mm. we want to use it to connect with an audience and and we're honestly not ready to share so I think we have to be cognizant of that um At what point did you write that first book? That came out in 2004, so that was um, about five or six years after my son was born. So you were still in the healing process, but you were also wanting to give of yourself to other women. Yes, I touched on depression in that book. I didn't write about it super depth in super uh, detail, but but yes, I still wanted to give people... Uh, some hope that there was life after depression, that that you could have fun and you could still find joy and balance. It's a lot about balance in that book, about being a mom and trying to find a balance between wanting to do certain things right for my kid, but also knowing that I'm not going to do everything right. And so I have to have lean on grace and 
<laughs> Absolutely. No, that's an excellent point, and I appreciate that. I think that very often that when we hear speakers tell their story, it's too raw yet. And they are possibly looking for sympathy. It's just that that's maybe what comes across. So in other words, you were very wise to wait until the healing came so that you could come from a different perspective. Look, I've been there, but I'm not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I said, some of it was just being scared and not, yes, being, yes. not ready. Yes. And I'm still, I've written more and more about it as the years have gone on, mm-hmm. not what, necessarily all at the same time. Right, of course. Now tell us about a couple of the other books that you've had. What was your next book? The next book I did, there are two uh, books in a series that I did with a friend of mine who's all very funny, funnier than me. Her name is Lori Barker Copeland. And we wanted to do a compilation like chicken soup but we wanted to do it about christian women and we wanted to incorporate some 60s themes in it because i was doing a character at a theater at the time called star shine so it was called the groovy chicks road trip to love and the groovy chicks road trip to peace we say that they were like chicken soup meets laugh in with a christian twist okay so those are kind of bizarre but they're fun give give us an example if you can Sure. Well, we did, we collected stories from 30 women in each book, about 30 women, about those themes, either love or joy, or peace or joy, I'm sorry. And then we also gave sidebars as 60s characters, Pepper and Starshine. So we had some fun road trip little things and recipes and that was a really neat project because we got to be very creative. Mm. And at the time, Chiclet was starting to be popular. And so we were able to just kind of give people a lighthearted dose of fun, but also some depth in it as well. And what came after that? After that, there was a book called Mothers of the Bible that I did for Barber Publishing, which was really fun to research and learn so much about moms of the Bible. And then one of my favorite books, it's still available on Kindle, but, um, It's out of print now, but I love the title. I didn't come up with the title, but it's called Let the Crow's Feet and Laugh Lines Come, (laughs) Rediscovering Beauty and Joy at Any Age. And Barbara Publishing gave me this assignment to interview 40 women over 40 and find out their secret to joy and vibrancy and a full life because our culture Mm. is so hard on women and our culture, especially the secular magazine entertainment culture, you would think that having crow's feet is a crime and that, you know, cellulite is worth imprisonment because we're just not, we're supposed to have this, you know, all of this even after 40, have perfect body. And and um, so I really enjoyed that process. I learned so much about what I wanted to be like as I, as I grew older. I did that when I was 40, so it was a great uh, time for me to do it. I have earned some heroes, and I, I look up to a lot of those women mm. that shared their story with me. And after that? After that, I took a break, and I thought I was done writing books. Really, I thought, because um, a couple of the books didn't sell well, and in our business, it's a lot about numbers. But I began um, working for an online magazine called The High Calling. I really enjoyed that. I was still speaking some and performing. My husband and I met as creative uh, arts people. We met in a music and drama group, and we've done professional theater through the years, yes. Um, But then a friend of mine called me and said, Dina, I had 
I had a thought in the middle of the night. She said, what about a book called Wounded Women of the Bible? And I thought, wow, that's never been done before. We'd wanted to work together for a long time. She was also a singer and author, um, speaker, pastor's wife. And I said, I would love to work on that with you. And then at the time, I didn't even have an agent. I had kind of moved on and thought, made peace with the fact that, you know, maybe I was done writing books for a while. But I had a friend who was an agent, and when I told him the title, he said, oh, I could sell that. It was it was so neat how it happened. It felt like such a gift because my friend Tina and I got to work together on this book and research really in-depth women of the past that have been mentioned in Scripture, what wounds had they suffered from, and how could we learn from them about our own wounds and where healing lies, and also interviewed contemporary women with the same wounds and put their stories together and wove it in along with our both of our stories of healing because Tina had a much more dysfunctional family than I did. She has an amazing story. Um, but that book has led to a lot of fun opportunities and a lot of, we've gotten a lot of feedback from women that said, wow, I've never heard these stories before. Give us some examples. Well, one of the stories we told, because um, we tried to not tell the typical stories that every book about women in the Bible tell, mm-hmm. um, we told a story about the two women in Solomon's court, the mom and uh, the two women that fought over the baby. And we talked about that through the lens of friendship and what must it have been like to be pregnant together and have these hopes and dreams. But then one of them, we don't know if she had postpartum depression, we don't know what it was, but she kind of snapped. And... And so we talked about it in very relatable ways. Okay. One of the stories we talked about was Hagar. And Hagar was a slave of Sarah and was very mistreated, but then she ended up being the mistreater. And so one of the things we talk about a lot in the book is that hurting people hurt people. That even though we're hurt by people a lot in life and we hurt people, that we have to find forgiveness Honestly, forgiveness was another thing that I had mm-hmm. to learn mm-hmm. as I worked through my depression and still learn how to have to practice every day in marriage and parenting with myself um, as a pastor's wife. You have to not swallow your anger and it becomes bitterness or else it will eat you up. And we tell a lot of those kind of stories in the book of people that found freedom and how they found freedom. So elaborate a little bit on that. So how, what do you suggest for people who might be hoarding bitterness or unforgiveness? And I, I'm not just the pad answer, and I'm sure you won't give it to me. Uh, you just need to do it. I mean, is <laughs> there... <laughs> oh, <boy>. yeah, <laughs> so is there anything you can share along those lines? Well, I'm the best grudge holder in the world. I can hold a grudge longer than probably Olympic swimmers can hold their breath. Well, way, way longer than that. I can. It's like a dog gnawing on a bone. I can just gnaw on that thing. I mean, I'm a sweet, kind person usually, but if you hurt my family member or I get like a mama bear and um, or if you hurt my husband or, you know, it's been a right. difficult thing for me because there's a little righteous indignation sometimes that I get and that's pride so I think one of the things I would say that we have to look at our own faults and realize that we're often the one that wounds not just the one that's wounded if we can accept that and then know that that God can help us because I do think it takes supernatural strength to forgive some of the things that 
women have to forgive, whether it's sexual abuse or abuse in marriage. There's lots of things that I think are beyond us that we need help with forgiving. So I would say know that it's not overnight. Sometimes you have to continually work on this process of letting go and, and forgiving it. And, and sometimes it takes a long time, but it's worth it. It's worth the journey, just like it was worth the journey for me to heal from depression. If, if I don't swallow my anger, if I deal with it, if I'm honest, even if that person doesn't say they're sorry, because that's a tough one for me. Yes. If they don't say they're sorry, I still have to get to a point where I can let that go, give some grace. Again, I do think that it's important to deal with the hurt, get that splinter out, before we put medicine on it, you know, deal with the core issue. Why were you, why was I so offended? Why was I so hurt? Why is this such a big issue? And then try to, if you can resolve the relationship, resolve it. But um, that's a long answer. <laughs> but it's a No, that's a, that's a good answer. And it also, basically what you're saying is what you said earlier, and that is you're replacing a lie with the truth. The lie is you shouldn't forgive that person. You should hold a grudge. You look what they did to you. But the truth is, but it's hurting me if I don't. Right. I don't know who said it, but they, there's a quote going that's gone around that says, not forgiving is like eating poison and expecting the rat to die. Or eating, yes, you know. yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. Yeah, you're right. You don't have it quite right, but I do know what you're referring to. Something like that, yeah. where it's true. It'll eat you up if you don't. Excellent. So in summary... Anything you want to share, any call to action, we will have all your books available, of course, you know, on on the show notes, along with your interview. But is there anything else that anything you want to do in conclusion or, like I said, a call to action or an encouraging word, whatever? What would you like to say? I would just want someone listening, if they're depressed or they're dealing with unforgiveness or abandonment or those things that are so hard and we do get hopeless, I would want them to know that they aren't alone. You're not alone. So many people are dealing with these issues. We just don't always talk about it. So I hope that you'll reach out. Reach out for whatever is around you that you can find healing and hope, whether that's scripture or maybe it's family members that you need to be honest with. Um, because there is another side to life beyond the despair and the grief. There is joy out there. Fight for it. Fight for joy because it's really, really worth it. That's very well said. The whole idea is don't hold it in. Mm-hmm. Get help. Yes. Uh, there is help available and a lot more help now than when you were going through it. Exactly. I love that people are starting to talk about it more. There's more resources Especially in the church, I'm, I'm seeing that we're starting to come more awake about this and how common it is. So I'm thankful for that. Whereas in the past, basically, if you were very sad or depressed, you were supposed to hide it because you're not supposed to be depressed. Right. Okay. Right. So that, there's your lack of balance right there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I thank you, Dina. This was enlightening and definitely encouraging. Thank you for and having me. You're very welcome. I appreciate uh, the things that you shared, including one thing that you said that really struck a chord with me is that your healing process, even though it's been 18 years, is ongoing. Yes. And we all... That just shows we want to improve. We always want to change. We're never going to reach perfection, you know, and we need to constantly, by helping others, we are helping ourselves. So all those things that you mentioned is an ongoing process that 
you help people and yourself along the along the journey. That's true. So I thank you, Dina, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.